Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. You know, as I'm preparing for this series, it's these 10 verses that I want to share with you today that have had me the most anxious. I believe these 10 verses that we're going to look at today have been, one of the, have been some of the most widely misunderstood, misapplied verses in all of Scripture. And it has become a section of extremes. And I think that the world looking on at who Jesus is and who his church is have these things in their context because they've been associated with Jesus in so many different areas, taught in so many different secular and, um, and world systems. And yet, often I look at the church and I see that these things are not on our radar very much because so often some of us have, have went to extremes with these teachings, have misapplied them and misunderstood them. And so, uh, I just have been anxious about sharing these, and I'm asking you to just, for these next few moments, to um, walk through this with me and, you know, turn your thinking on um, and allow the Holy Spirit to, as you think about the words um, and their meaning, that the Holy Spirit would would apply these things to your heart. You know, I want to preface this passage with four thoughts, four kind of points as we begin to dive in. One, the first one I would share with you is what we've talked about, uh, about what this whole Sermon on the Mount thing is. The focus is not on behavior modification, but it is about heart transformation. Think relationship. God is wanting to move into a relationship with you and I. Relationship. If you're a parent, you know exactly the difference between behavior modification and heart transformation, do you not? I can get my kids, because of my position in their life right now, the authority I have over him, the dependence they have on me, the structure of the family, I can get my kids to behave in certain ways. Some of you are like, you can't? Tell me more about this. Right? It's, there is a sense where, as a parent, I can, can uh, form certain behaviors in my kids. I can use my authority. Sometimes people use fear. Sometimes people use um, coercion <laughs> uh, as a parent. But I can get my kids to behave a certain way. Most of the time. Right? But I've also experienced, and you've experienced too, that even at times when your kids are behaving the right way, you know their heart is far from the behavior that they're, they're doing. They're doing it just because. They don't want to get in trouble. They fear uh, consequences. They, right? Yeah. I remember being there as a kid. Right? I acted the way I was supposed to in certain contexts, but my heart was far from it. 
And it was only a matter of time that when I got outside of the authority structure of my parents that my heart then followed who I was and I did not behave the way that they had modified my behavior when I was with them. Right? The Lord is far more interested in coming into relationship with us and in the context of that relationship, changing the affections of our heart. Revealing to us his goodness, his plan, his grace, showing us how far superior for our lives his way is, and beginning to to develop in us a hunger and thirst for how he has planned out life, how he has ordered this world, how it makes sense and it brings fulfillment and joy. And in the context of relationship, he is wanting to transform our hearts, not just modify our behaviors. Okay, so that's point one. Keep that in mind. Because we're going to talk about some things that you and I are going to be like, oh my goodness. I don't feel like my behavior could ever be modified to practice these things. And Lord, how in the world would I ever? And honestly, I think that's why a lot of Christians have thrown their hands up at these sections of Scripture and just said, that's a great ideal. Man, I hope somebody can do that, but it's not going to be me. But when we realize that the process of relationship with God begins to change us, And that it is a relationship, just as with my kids. When I see heart transformation happening, man, I'm going to be honest. There's times when the behavior's not there and I'm okay with it, right? Like, okay, you didn't didn't get it, but I see where your heart's going. And man, I just want to continue to kindle that fire. And so, yeah, you, you know, behavior's not there yet, but I see where you're going, And that's the Lord with us in relationship with us. Second thing is these everyday illustrations that Jesus gives through this sermon are given to show the condition of our heart. Like he gives us all these examples. We've already talked about anger and obsessive lust. And uh, we've talked about commitment and all these things that, have, that he has jumped into because he's interested in changing our heart. And so he uses illustrations so that we can begin to see, oh, wow, he says this. I'm not even wearing close to that. I don't even know. Like, he does, he gives these everyday illustrations to show us the condition of our heart. This is not, and i got to be careful here and Hopefully you don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. This is not a new set of laws that he's imposing on us. That you need to check the boxes. This is a new life and new lifestyle that he's inviting us into. And he realizes that the transformation of our life is a process that is ongoing. And there is a sense where we grow in these things. And like, oh Lord, yeah, my heart is far from being able to do that. But Lord, continue to turn my heart that way. Grow me in this. And that's where relationship with God exists. His grace, his mercy, his love, his patience, his long-suffering, his forbearing to call Call us to live these things out. Are you still with me? Okay. Some of you have no idea what we're going to talk about and you're really wondering what the heck is coming next. The third thing is that's misunderstood around these things 
is that God has established governments and laws for very, very loving reasons. The scriptures tell us in the New Testament that God establishes governments to restrain evil men. That the loving picture of our world should be in an ordered, consistent society. And so when we look at these passages, people have taken them and misapplied them in so many ways. And they've also created this context where Christians should just then be doormats. And common sense and the totality of Scripture do not lend us to the idea that when we are called to exhibit some of these behaviors in certain times in our life, that all of a sudden everything should be out the door and the idea of an ordered, consistent society where actually the loving thing is to protect, to, to defend, to... Um, to, to have a system of, of consequences and, and guidelines. That's loving. God has established that for our good and for, our, our, to, for us to thrive and prosper. And these verses are not throwing that out the window. They're teaching us something about a principle that God wants to develop in our lives. The fourth thing is this is all is in the context of love. Love. The whole purpose of the Old Testament scriptures was to to guide people to see that God wants them to love him completely and to love others as themselves. Jesus said everything hangs on this. And so when Jesus introduces us to the new kingdom lifestyle, that has never changed. God is love. Jesus is the manifestation of love. And he calls his followers to jump deeply into the pool of love to become people who love. And so when we begin to navigate through these verses and we begin to consider the weight of how, oh my goodness, this is not my natural inclination and uh, man, the sinful tendencies that I would wrestle with would not want to do this and around me, nobody's saying this is a good idea. Remember that God is calling us to a higher reality and that is to be people who become love. This is why at the end of this passage, that verse that hits us right in the eye, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You're like, no way. We have to understand what he is saying. The word there is maturity. God is a God who loves constantly. And he calls his people to become people who love constantly. We mirror We become mature. We see the plan of God that love is the greatest reality in this world. That God has shown his love, constant love to us. And he calls us to grow into this lifestyle of loving God and loving others as ourselves. Love is the point here. Not, I'm going to tell you to do something and I'm going to see how hard you can squirm to pull it off. Not, I'm going to tell you to do this, and it's just going to be like, yeah, let's see if they can do it. Or if you can't do it, then you're out. What he's trying to do is stir up our minds and our hearts to develop an affection for him, but also for others. That is the most bold, visible picture to a lost, dying, sinful world of who God is. 
This is why I'm heartbroken, even in my own life, that these scriptures have been neglected at times, have been put on the back burner because in this risky place of extremes, on either side, I can't do that, or like this is where the birthplace of passivism is and, and, and all sorts of ideas about how to live that people have followed. We have neglected these things to the detriment of actually living on mission for Jesus and maybe showing a lost, dying world how powerful the grace of God truly is in living these things out. So now that's the pretext. Let's jump in. Amen? Okay, I'll stay there for a while if you want. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. It's beautiful, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6, he's going, to be ta- he's going to be talking about our relationship to circumstances, our relationship with our reputation, our security we try to find in wealth and all other things. But here, Jesus, as he's introducing us to the kingdom lifestyle, still is wanting to teach us how to love others how to love others, how we live in relationship to one another. Next chapter will be how we live in relationship to our possessions, to the world we live in. But this is how do I live in relationship to others. And he said, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Right? This, uh, this principle that's in the Old Testament that Things should be fair. The punishment should fit the crime. What I think we miss often is is that we think of this eye for eye, tooth for tooth, in the tooths, (laughs) in the context of one another. The three times this is used in the Old Testament, it's never me and you, it's in a civil case. It's in a judge determining what's the, proper, what's the proper thing to do here as I settle out a grievance. The idea that eye for eye, tooth for tooth was always like the way that God was saying, well, he knocked your tooth out, you knock his tooth out. And that's the Old Testament, brother. Is absurd. It never was that kind of understanding. God never said it was okay for you to hit somebody in the nose if they hit you in the nose. It's in an idea of we have this grievance between one another. We take it to a civil court place and he mediates what is fair and just. For instance, in that day, in in a, a passage of scripture, it is told us that if an owner were to punish a slave and knock his tooth out, all right, abuse him, That the idea wasn't that the slave could just wait for the opportune time, man. He's coming around the corner and I'm going to take his tooth out. No, the grievance was that the slave could then go to the civil court, express his grievance, and that the the fair eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and then he was set free from that owner. This is important too because... God sharing fairness in the way things are, are, are meted out is important because you and I both know 
in our natural state that if somebody hits me in the nose, I'm not thinking I just want to hit them back in the nose. I want to hit them in the ear and in the jaw. This is the story of mankind. That when we're wronged, we don't have the, the rational nature to just, okay, fair is fair. No, we retaliate. Right? And often the retaliation is far more weighty than the original offense. This is the story of our world. I, I, I have a lot of Irish descent. I spent uh, a, a, a nice time in Northern Ireland for a while and trying to understand that context. There's this whole thing that goes on that's such a blight to the world. But there's this ongoing feud between the Protestants and Catholics in Ireland, Northern Ireland, all that area. They have been going at each other for years now. Both of them claim the name of Christ. (laughs) They bomb one another. They kill one another. It is vicious. But what's amazing is it's just so retaliatory. You take out one of our people, we'll take out ten of yours. It's just the way we do things. And Jesus said, I want to I help you understand something. In the context of love, that when it used to be, hey, fair is fair. I want to teach you something new. He says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. It's important the way he says this in a right-handed dominated world, especially back then. Or some of you even old enough to remember when if you were left-handed, they thought something was wrong with you? Like they tried to make you right-handed? Anybody like that? No one's going to admit that today. Dan, you're willing to admit that, right? If you were left-handed, something was wrong. Because right-handed was, you know. And he says, if you're hit on the right cheek, oops, It's obvious he's inferring to a backhanded slap. Complete, complete sign of of insult, of contempt. If you are backhanded, West Virginia man, they'll they'll slap you in the face if if you talk back. Yeah, I never got into that, but it happens. But like this is just like an insulting thing. If somebody insults you, He says, instead of striking back, turn away. He doesn't say just stand there and get slapped a hundred times. Right? But the principle here is that you and I as believers of Christ who are intent on developing a heart of love for God and loving others realize that there is no win in me fighting back. I didn't say stay around for abuse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But there is no win. You slap me, I slap you. The people of God are called to be people who lay down the right of retaliation. Jesus says, if you want to know how to 
inbreak into this vicious, malice-filled, hateful world that always is striking back, tit for tat. I, you know, this whole thing is why don't you stop the cycle like I did and why don't you show to them something that's a greater purpose and when they slap you, just turn away. Don't slap back. Everybody with me still? In other words, don't start a feud. He's not talking about categorical evil and letting it overrun your life. He says, turn the other cheek. We do not respond in kind. And so the first point I want to remind you of today is following Jesus, developing a heart of love, causes me to stop getting even. Amen. Uh, I don't like this. I like to try to get even. But in my getting even, I continue to create a world that is far from the love and grace of Jesus Christ. While we were yet enemies, Christ died. While I was putting my fists up to God, God did not respond in kind to me. He loved me and changed my world. And you and I have the ability to change the course of our own little worlds of influence by stop trying to get even. We let it go. Notice I did not say you stick around. There's other principles in scripture. That's not what he's saying here. Stand there and get slapped 100,000 times. Just be a doormat. No, don't retaliate. Second thing. First thing is following Jesus caused me to stop, stop getting even. Second thing, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt Hand over your coat as well. Here's another thing. Like, okay, I guess Christians, anybody can just come up to me and take whatever they want from me, and I'm supposed to just say, here! Obviously, the language implication here is that you're being sued. This is not a picture of robbery, but a picture that we owe something to somebody, and they have gone to court to recoup what is owed. The second thing I think is important here is he uses what they were very familiar with. One's cloak, coat, was specifically in the Old Testament law a right of a person to have. If I'm indebted to you and I have to give you everything I have just to try to recoup the debt and I'm still a little bit short and I could, I could say, well, take my coat. The law said, no, you can't take that man's coat. He has a right to keep himself warm. You can't do it. You're just going to have to, he's going to have to owe you a little bit more, but you cannot take his coat. That's what the law said. Jesus said, if you're in a situation where, you're, where you owe somebody and they come to you and ask for it or legally pursue it, that the attitude of a Christian is I'll give them what I owe, and for the inconvenience and the whole issue, I'll give them more than what I owe. 
I'm not going to hold in any part in my heart something against people calling me for a debt. Because that happens, right? Absolutely it happens. He says, no. It's, it's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is given four times what he took from people, right? Like it's this heart that is learning how to love and part of learning how to love is, okay, we had a dispute. I owe them this. I hate that I owe them that. I don't want to feel that way. So the Lord says, hey, let me, let me, let me show you a little bit. Give them more. Give them, right? Don't hold on to your rights. Your rights to have that cloak. Just, just be willing to try to make the relationship good with whoever you owe something to. Or I would put it this way. Following Jesus causes me to make my rights the basis, to not make my rights the basis for relationship for others. Like rightfully, you can only take what I owe you, but I care more about trying to be in good relationship with you. I'm sorry I put you through this. I want to give you more because I want to make sure the relationship is stored. And my right is to keep my coat, but I don't care about my right now. I just want to be in relationship with you. I knew this would be really quiet today. He says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Like, what what is this? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, there's a whole, from the Persian Empire clear down to the Roman, there's a thing here, and it was first of all in the mail system. But basically for them, they were under Roman captivity, right? And the Romans could basically tell them what to do. And often a Roman soldier could look at a Jewish citizen and say, hey, I'm tired of carrying my backpack. You gotta carry my backpack for me. And you, you know what? You couldn't do a thing about it. You just had to do it, man. Suck it up, dude. That was the world they lived in. Many of them knew exactly what it is to be going to work and a Roman soldier say, hey man, I'm tired of carrying this, you gotta carry this. But the Roman law had that you could not ask a citizen to carry it for more than one mile. Okay, we'll make you carry our stuff, but you can't do more than one mile. That's a little too extreme. (laughs) Sounds extreme to me all the way around, but can't go more than one mile. Jesus says, listen, To develop a heart that loves God, that mirrors God. Be willing to look at that Roman soldier and say, you know what? Okay. Well, probably not like that. That sounded a little bit like snarky. But, okay, I'll take it two miles for you. What? Can you imagine? What is wrong with these people? What is going on with these people? Jesus is saying, I want you to show what is not deserved Because I'm trying to develop in your heart love like I am love. And so just have a mindset. Okay, I'll carry it two miles. Set it down after two miles or whatever. And let him just sit there all day thinking, what in the world is going on with those people? See, following Jesus causes me to go above and beyond in trying to relate and love others. The fourth thing. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. <laughs> this sounds awesome. 
Some of you had some really nice trucks out there in the parking lot. I think I need that this week. This sounds awesome, dude. Is that what he means? Not necessarily. It's a willingness, though. It's a willingness to when I see a person that genuinely needs to be willing to give what I have to meet their need. This is obviously taught in other parts of Scripture, is it not? And Jesus said we, we love others and we move into an understanding of who God is when we, what is it I say? We value people over possessions. Wow, this is hard in our world. We have a lot of possessions to manage. Back then they had just a room. <laughs> you need my blanket? Oh, that's all I got. I don't have much anyway here. Like today we got all sorts of stuff. What is he trying to do? Wean us away from loving our possessions or valuing them more than people. Because at the end of the day, he wants us to love God and love others as ourselves. This is Jesus. This is the kingdom lifestyle. And so, yeah, you can borrow it. I had an instance, I didn't even think about this till now. I'm good, guys, with time. I'm going to finish really good. So you just relax. I had an instance, I got to be careful here, I won't tell you where. But like, I had this mower and I had bought this nice leaf bagging system. It cost me 600 bucks for that leaf bagging system. That hurt. But I also had seven trees and 100 bags of leaves every year, it seemed like. And you know what? That 600 bucks, I didn't care after my back was raking all those leaves. I had a neighbor who said, hey, can I use that? Like, Sure. Like, that's just the disposition of a Christian, right? Sure. Pulls it back in my driveway. I go to put it away. There's a crack in my $600 bagging system this long. It was this thick of plastic. It was cracked all the way through. I didn't just say, praise Jesus. I wanted to walk right over. Hey, dude, you know how much that cost me? I've only had it for six months. How am I going to bag my leaves now? Fortunately, that was old chip, definitely old chip. Fortunately, God's been working in me, right? Like you, like as we walk with him, I realize there's no win in this. There is no win in this. My neighbor is not a believer. If that pastor neighbor gets in his face over a $600 piece of plastic, I might be the very thing that causes him never to believe in Jesus Christ. It's never worth it. Never worth it. Do you know what I did? I taped that sucker up. I still use it to this day. And I think God's blessed me. The tape still holds. Right? Love, love. Because this is how he ends this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves and God's constant in his love over his creation. It's not like if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? You don't really, is that really love if you only love when people love you back? Like, yeah, it's love, but like love is really, man, are, are the tax collectors doing that? Like they, 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 they love you when you give them what they want. If you only greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? No, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word is mature. Not perfection like perfect, like, uh, oh man, my, my mind just went like the Greek word that's used for perfect. Like God is perfect, like he has no flaws. That's not the word used here. Because you and I are out immediately, right? I live 30 seconds and I realize I'm not perfect like God. I'm out. No, it's a word for maturity. God is love. He loves constantly. He, he reigns on the evil and the good and the righteous because he's just love. Can you just love? Love your family. Love your neighbors. Love your coworker that gets on your nerves. In fact, you loving your coworker that gets on your nerves, I'm telling you guys, it might be the one thing that causes them to think about God and his grace and his love. You're loving instead of retaliating. You're loving instead of fighting back. You're loving instead of all that stuff might be the thing that causes them to believe in Jesus Christ. And eternity will reveal <laughs> it was worth it. I'll lay down my rights sometimes. My rights of dignity. I don't like to be slapped. It's undignified to be slapped. But I won't insult you back. I'll lay down my right to dignity. I'll lay down my right to the property I own at times if you're in need and I can help you. He's calling us to kingdom lifestyle. This kingdom that can change the entire world is predicated on a people who love as Jesus Christ loved. He changed the world because he hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He repaid evil with good. And these are everyday illustrations that remind us that he invites us into this lifestyle. In my own limited thing, I've realized that when I have minorly had to experience some of these things compared to people, I understand what Paul says when he says that I may know him that I might fellowship with him in his suffering. There is no greater glory in the world than allowing Jesus to so capture your life that you're able to live out his life in your own life.
There's nothing more fulfilling, more satisfying, nothing that brings more joy. And that becomes by asking him to develop in our heart this ability to love. Lord, grow my love. Father, I pray today that the weight of your words will help us. Thankfully, we live in relationship with you and you're a kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father. I will admit, Lord, I don't even understand how to live into some of these things very well, but I know that you will be patient, continue to be kind, and you'll draw me to this. Lord, change my heart, continue to change my heart and grow my heart. Past my own little world, past my own little career, past my own little possessions, so that the thing that might be said about me was he loved people and he was willing to help people. That's what you did. That's what you call us to. I desperately need your help, Lord. And Lord, we desperately need you to do this in our hearts. This is what can change our world and bring them to you. We pray these things in the gracious, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.